Welcome, welcome, one and all, to another match here in the ring. In corner number one, with the wispy blonde dome and the big old chompers, we got Tom Petty. And as always in corner number two, with his short brown hair and big old glasses, Rivers Cuomo. Who's gonna wreck who, baby, in today's Blue Album Battle? Hello and welcome everyone to the Blue Album Battle, the podcast where we peer into the music of the 90s through a blue album tinted lens. And today, we've got more of a sepia tone on our lens, right Chris? I can see it, yeah. Everything I'm seeing is brown and brown and white. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's funny. And we're talking about Tom Petty's Wildflowers today, of course, as you saw in the description. And uh, that was released right in the heart of autumn. Yeah, November 1st, 1994. Three days and ten years before my brother was born. Wow, how about that uh, factoid? Doesn't this feel like a spring record, though, too, on a certain level? Yeah. It's Wasn't it nice listening to it's it? It's very warm. Yeah. Very, very warm sounding. There are a couple cold songs here and there, but sure. I, I think it, this is definitely, uh, I wouldn't even call it summery. I think, yeah, you kind of nailed it, the spring. Yeah. It's it's It just feels, I mean, he's talking about wildflowers. Yeah, you know? and it's an album about transitions. Right. And I think that's why spring and fall just fit, you know, when those two seasons hit, I just want to listen to this music. Totally. So, what do you think, Tom Petty? T- talk to me about your relationship with Tom Petty. Oh man, uh, Tom Petty is one of my favorite artists of all time. Um, I've been listening to him since basically as long as I can remember. Funny enough, my parents were not huge uh, Tom Petty or, or Heartbreakers fans. Really, they kind of just knew the knew the singles. But I very distinctly remember the first time I heard American Girl on the radio on just like classic rock radio. I distinctly remember the first time I heard Free Fallen on the radio. And I was just like, man, this guy has a, such a unique voice and all that. And I just dove deep. How uh, old were you? Do you remember? Oh, God, no. Uh, young. Yeah. Definitely young. Like single digit age, probably. Yeah. So um, in the 90s still. Yeah, for me. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> and I, I, I knew. It's funny because as I got older, I didn't really realize that these songs came out so much later than a lot of the really popular Heartbreaker stuff. Because they I, all were like one piece Yeah, it was of all like story. one thing. I, I didn't even know the difference between like the Heartbreaker stuff and the solo stuff and, and all that. Um, my first Tom Petty album was uh, Highway Companion, which is kind of bizarre. I, I don't think know that was, who that else that like, would be true for. Like, like 2007, I think. 2006. Like, oh, six. Sorry, I'm such an idiot. No, no, no. Uh, I just... <laughs> close enough. <laughs> I'll take a plus minus one. But yeah, that was one. Of, that was my first solo record, and because my mom gave it to me for Christmas, as well as uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers' like greatest hits. Um, one of the best greatest hits ever. Oh, it's so good. It's really good, and I love the how the CD. I obviously had it on CD because I was a young gun and didn't have the records or anything. But I remember the the cover of the physical disc was the cover of what was on the record. Like, yeah. But it was like they did this weird like photo edit to it. So I always used to love just like staring at the record because it was like kind of holographic and shiny, but it was just like this weird distorted photo of the band. Right. Um, and they yeah. looked so cool. I mean, they're the coolest. <laughs> like Tom is just one of the coolest guys around. Yeah. Like, and uh, obviously I've watched Running Down a Dream probably like three times. Um, That's 12 hours. Yeah. It's a long, long haul. Um, two CDs. It came, or it came on two DVDs. Oh, I mean, wow. That's how long it is. I've just I've been listening to Tom Petty solo and Heartbreakers my whole life. Huge fan. Um, so I'm super excited to talk about the record. And I don't recall if this ever came up on any of our episodes in the past on either of our shows, but when it came down to choosing which band to talk about, 
Mm-hmm. Weezer obviously won out. The only other artist who was even in contention was Tom Petty. I know. <laughs> it's like, who, who do we choose, Weezer or Tom Petty? Who said that ever? Yeah, right. <laughs> but it was truly, as you hear from listening to these shows, we, we rarely agree on, on artists. Or yeah, if or we genres. like an artist, we don't necessarily even agree on the songs we like from that artist. Yeah, it's hilarious. You know, so these are the few Venn diagram overlaps. Yeah. Maybe, these may be the two. I'm sure there are others. Radiohead, you've, you've grown to really like. Oh, God, and, yeah. And other alternative rock, I'm sure, and classic rock. But mm-hmm. as far as bands that we just... We just always seem to come up. When Have there's a, a deep gu- connection with. And when there's a guitar in my hand or your hand, like, who do we want to sing? Who do we want to play? It seemed to always be Weezer or Petty. Yeah. So it just seemed like the obvious or choice. Or the occasional Sublime. <laughs> funny sure. enough, yeah, which yeah, you yeah. don't even like, but... <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's so funny for two people who have so much in common and have such a deep relationship with each other. We Our musical overlap is like pretty nil. Right. It, it's so funny. That's what makes hosting a music podcast with you so fun. Yeah, and I hope that works for the listeners too. Like, you know, I'm sure each of you identifies with one of us more than the other, and that's totally fine, you know, because I totally respect Chris's opinions, and he respects mine. It's just, that's just how it goes. But here's something we can all agree on, Tom Petty. And I think that's something that Mark Maron actually said in a stand-up Did act he? before great. Petty even died, uh. where he was like, you know, we're so divided. We can agree on Petty, though, right? Petty, <laughs> Petty, we all like Petty. Yeah. You know? He's and not wrong. Yeah, absolutely. He's one of the great, I mean, he's one of the greatest American songwriters. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. So. He writes with a simplicity. Mm-hmm. With an elegance, with an every man sort of quality that people like Bob Dylan, people like Neil Young, people like Leonard Cohen, you know, his theoretically his contemporaries as songwriters, even members of the Beatles and things like that. Mm-hmm. Very few of them could get to that basic level of the truth. Yeah. Like Tom Petty could. And stating it so simply. Stating I it think so simply. We'll get to that too later. In, Absolutely. Uh, in I mean, we're, we're going to break this thing apart. Um before we do, just a little bit about my personal relationship with Tom Petty. I mean, absolutely one of the first artists I ever noticed in my life. I was born in 1983, and Full Moon Fever was one of the first CDs I was ever obsessed with. My dad's copy of that, I just constantly played it. The Don't Come Around Here No More video blew my fucking mind when I saw it on MTV. And then when he had this kind of resurgence some 18 years into his career here in the mid-90s, all of a sudden he was on MTV again and alternative rock radio and he was relevant and he was cool. And I was like, this is awesome, man. Like He felt like from a completely different world than the music I was listening to actively at that time. Right. Smashing Pumpkins and Nine Inch Nails and Tool and Nirvana. And Tom Petty was sitting right alongside them I on know. the radio and on TV. And I was mm-hmm. like... How amazing is this? This is all the shit I love. I know. Happening at once. And that's why I'm so excited that we chose the 90s to talk about, too. Because, I mean, what a cornucopia of of artists and genres going on at this time. And it's crazy to think the first Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers record came out in 1976. That's like saying, like, oh, Transatlanticism by Death Cab. That was, like, 17 years ago now. Like, that feels like a modern record. But if you think of the first Petty record to Wildflowers, it's, like, a completely different world, a completely different cultural landscape. Yeah. And musical landscape. You Huge. know, they don't even seem related, but both were super relevant. I mean, obviously, Petty really broke out with Damn the Torpedoes in 79, but like American Girls on that first record, right? Mm-hmm. Breakdowns on that first record. Like, yeah. he's had that, hits the whole time. Absolutely. He's never not had hits. He's always had hits. That's why his greatest hits is so good. And it's rare that I would even listen to an artist's greatest hits. I can't think of oh, another. It, it feels like a record. It feels like a record. And it has new songs on it. You mm-hmm. know, obviously, Mary Jane's Last Dance is on there. And a great cover of Something in the Air, which is like a 60s one-hit yeah. wonder, which is really cool. Yeah, that was a really cool track. Absolutely. Um, did you ever see Petty live? Did you get to see no. him live? Because No, he came, he played at the Phillips Arena, which is where the Hawks play ah, when I was living in The Atlanta. Omni. 
Oh, way back. <laughs> that was the, that's what it used to be, right? Right. That what? was that was a long time. I think that was before my time. Was even. that a different building? Or was it just oh, called God. something different? To be honest, I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not familiar. Um but yeah, he he played at Phillips uh my freshman year of high school and I did not go because tickets were exorbitant and I couldn't afford it as a poor high school student <laughs> sure sadly um chris is there anything else you want to talk about before we we roll into these rounds yeah one last thing because i actually had the opportunity to see tom petty live once in my life and it, it, it was a life-changing experience for many reasons what era of of petty highway companion tour nice 2006 ah jelly so it was at bonnaroo 2006 so i've been working intermittently on live concert film crews for the last 14 years my very first gig ever as a 22-year-old was Bonnaroo 2006, working for Danny Clinch on the live feeds uh, you know, for, for the Bonnaroo webcast back then. And who headlined that Friday at Bonnaroo but Tom Petty, one of my fucking idols. Man. And I wasn't working the set, and he was playing the main stage, so I just walked, kind of like with, like with Pearl Jam, like I described, I just walked out into the field and got to watch Tom Petty. Among 65, 70,000, it seems unthinkable at this moment, but <laughs> among 70,000 sweaty, you know, excited humans. And it just blew my mind. Yeah. And who comes out and sings with them? Stevie Nicks. Come on. They do Stop Dragging My Heart Around. Oh. Don't Come Around Here No More. That's one of my favorite songs ever. Even Stop the, Dragging My Heart. Oh, it's so great. I was like, I can't believe this is happening. And I remember calling my dad two days later because uh, Bonnaroo is typically on Father's Day weekend. So mm-hmm. I called him Sunday morning and I was so excited to tell him, you'll never believe who I saw. You know, Tom Petty and Stevie Nicks. And they sang, you know, and I went through the set list. And I mean, I just had never experienced anything like that. The next night, Radiohead headlined. Good God. Did not work that set. So I got to just wander around and watch Radiohead. Pre in rainbows, but playing in rainbow songs in some different oh arrangements. Oh my. Killer. Immediately followed by late night set, surprise set called Super Jam, Trey and Mike from Fish. Oh boy. With a sit in from Phil Lesh from The Grateful Dead. And I got to be on stage for the whole thing. Man. This was m- my second day of work in this field ever. You must have been creaming your shorts. I, 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 thankfully, they were black shorts because I had to wear my stage blacks. Yeah. So it blended right in. Whew. But needless to say, I always associate Tom Petty with happiness for a variety of reasons, and this is just one last personal reason why I just always associate him with, I can't believe my good fortune to have this job and to be here right now and to be seeing him, and he was great. And speaking of happiness, how about this opening track? Oh, amazing. Let's get into the battle. Round one, opening track. springtime music yeah that's like the ultimate springtime track right there yeah 
I, I think he does an incredible job. I think this is a great album opener. I really can't think of a track on this record that I would rather have as the first, personally. Oh, I think that's a good point. I yeah. think there are certain songs that could have been resequenced. Obviously, no spoilers yet, but um, I, I think this really hits the nail on the head for for the majority of the feel that he's going for, um, for the the sound quality, for the instrumentation, for just his really natural um, kind of bare-bones singing style. I don't know. I think it's it's a great introduction to is just like, hey, this is me as a solo artist, and this is what this is what I want the record to sound like. Completely agree. Just a pristine example of what Petty's after on this record, mm-hmm. right off the bat, and that's what we look for in opening tracks. Is yeah, what are we in store for? This is fifteen tracks. Yeah, am I gonna hang for fifteen? This better be good. And then this song comes on, and you're like, okay, oh, I can I can be in this world for a while. Definitely, and I think it sort of elicits a very different emotional response then My Name is Jonas. For sure. Right. You know, this is a very mature record. Um, and I, I think we should say it off the bat that Wildflowers and, and Blue Album, I, I shouldn't say couldn't be more different because uh, obviously we could talk about, you know, 36 Chambers again. <laughs> um, but I think this is kind of a record that is usually going to be listened to by middle-aged folks, older folks, maybe not a lot of like teenagers and 20-something-year-olds. I mean, I think it's definitely possible. I think it works for them, but... I don't not think they're the target the, demographic. No, not with the depth. This yeah, is, I think this is this is petty fans. This is heartbreaker fans. Well, this is this is the work of a middle-aged, mature writer. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think there's so many shared themes between Blue Elm and Wildflowers, even though sonically and approach-wise they are so different. Mm-hmm. Isolation, loneliness, loss, desire for comfort and companionship. These themes permeate both records, but from completely different perspectives. Yeah, true. You're thinking of Rivers Cuomo as an early 20-year-old. Right. While Tom Petty was born in 1950, so he was 44 at this time. I know because he has my birthday, October 20th. We share a birthday. I know. I I always like that because I grew obsessed in the last five to ten years of just reading interviews with Tom Petty. And uh, and there's a couple great books out there, Conversations with Petty by Paul Zolo and then a great biography by Warren Zane. And just the way that Petty talks about life, music, musical fandom – being in a band, all these things that obviously like are the cornerstones of my cultural life. I just go, man, I don't relate to any musician more than I relate to Petty in the way he just talks about this shit. Yeah. And he's not a school musician, but that dude knows more than most musicians I've ever heard talk about music. And so by this point, right on the brink of going through a divorce and a huge life change, this is really his divorce record. Often the record that follows this, which is called Echo, it came out later in the 90s and, and was produced by Rick Rubin as well. That's thought of as his divorce record, but really the divorce with his wife of many, many years was happening at this point. And you can hear him working through it throughout these tracks. True. Where I'm sure Rivers had suffered heartache and stuff, but nothing to the point of no, like, he I have this family. Right. Never that kind of loss. It was all small scale. You know, I lost this relationship and it didn't work out, but never a wife and, and a family. Right. And hence the adolescent appeal. You right. know, because I mean, I'm, I'm telling you as a 12 year old, like when this record came out, I was like, this music's so good. Like, it wasn't just because it was Tom Petty's music. It was because I just loved this music, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I didn't know what he was singing about necessarily. It didn't like reverberate with me on like a human level until probably until later in adolescence, because I was always pretty, you know, I was an old soul. Yeah, yeah. And, and a sad bastard from way back, despite, sure. you know, my jovial uh, no, we have that in outward experience or or, you know. Uh, bearing, but the music is really made to be appreciated by someone who's experienced life. Absolutely. And so in that, I completely agree with you. We're kind of beating around the bush here, though. Oh, yeah. We haven't revealed what we think. 
Jonas or Wildflowers? Who takes round one for you, Chris? Tough question, but I'm going to go Wildflowers. As am I. Ooh, baby. I love both tracks. I mean, this is a I really know. hard, hard Very goal. hard decision. Two totally different things, but I, I think I think they both do an excellent job of introducing the record. I think they both do an excellent job of being great songs, and they both do a great job of epitomizing who the band or the artist uh, is performing them and writing them. So it had to come down to, to which one, I guess. I, I can't even say like better, because I like them both equal. But yeah. But I think... Maybe if you ask me again in a month, I might change my mind to Jonas, but I think listening to this record so many times over the past two weeks, getting ready for this episode, uh, yeah, Wildflowers for sure. Round two, Heart Songs. So an early 2-0 lead for Mr. Petty. As we move into round two, Heart Songs, what songs do we love from these records? Christopher, get us started. All right, so my Heart Songs from the Blue Album are as follows. My name is Jonas, the world has turned and left me here, Buddy Holly, Sweater Song, Surf Wax America, Say It Ain't So, and Holiday, making a grand total of seven out of the ten tracks on Blue Album. Pretty hefty showing, 70%, if for those of you who are not uh, good at the quick maths. That's tough, uh, tough competition. My heart songs from Wildflowers are Wildflowers, You Don't Know How It Feels, You Wreck Me, Don't Fade On Me, and Crawling Back To You. Only five. Wow. Only 33%. Only, uh, yeah, 33%. <laughs> Quick I maths. maths than you. Quick maths. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, so five out of the 15 tracks. So Blue Album is going to take this one for me. Right on. I don't think there's a bad track. You're talking about Wildflowers. On Wildflowers. I feel that way about Blue Album. Everyone who listens to this podcast knows that by now. But when it comes down to songs that I love, mm-hmm. like with my heart and soul, Blue Album just has more. I just, I, I think... Whether it's the musical style or the lyrics or whatever, I think I just there's something about those tracks on Blue Album that I just gravitate towards more. So, but those the the five tracks that I just mentioned from from Wildflowers are far and away just really tug at my heartstrings, and I, I really love them musically. Do you have a number one? <sighs> That's a tough question. Um, I kind of think it depends on on how I feel. I think because of the number of times I've heard it and how I knew it as a younger person i would say you don't know how it feels as a kid like in middle school and high school hearing that it's like roll another joint (laughs) i always thought that was like oh wow that's edgy were they done censoring it by then because you remember the original they would reverse the word joint really roll another really oh it was hilarious that's crazy oh we loved it we knew what he was saying it was it was so funny (laughs) funny enough my dad was so good at speaking backwards that's like one of his great skills he can just like say he can speak backwards what an amazing skill. So random. Truly. <laughs> I know. Um, but I would say, honestly, this might surprise you, but I would say Crawling Back to You is probably my number one song on this album. Oh, man. I feel you so deeply on that one. Yeah? I fucking love that song. So good. So good. So obviously, that's one of my heart songs. For Weezer, I have six. Mm-hmm. Just to get them out of the way. Jonas, The World Has Turned and Left Me Here. Buddy Holly, Say It Ain't So. Holiday and Only in Dreams. That was from memory now. I know. He he kept eye contact with me the whole time he (laughs) just said that. First time I've had eye contact with you all day, I think. Yeah, I hate your eyes. Now for Petty. Should I just start listing songs? You count as we go. (laughs) Okay. Wildflowers. You don't know how it feels. Time to move on. It's good to be king. Only a broken heart. Don't fade on me. Crawling back to you. Wake up time. Whoa. That's eight. Eight. Bam! 
Tom Petty wins. Decisively. Strongly, yeah. That's impressive. More than half the record. That's which very is a- rare for you to have. To, very rare. For, for someone to beat the Blue Album on this uh, category. And I would say that's for a couple of reasons. I've lived with this album for 25 years. Yeah. So there's that. But you've also lived that. You've done the same for Blue Album, though. Yeah. It's yeah. came out in the same year. I'm saying that in comparison to other records that have uh, been that in competition. Com- okay, fair enough. So I've lived with this record a long time. Stylistically, it's always been a record I've been into. Unlike 10, which is a record that I hadn't listened to in at least 15 years. Even though I like Pearl Jam, I just that's not an album I usually like to put on. Wildflowers has such a timeless quality and pure quality to it that I've always listened to it. So I've had a lot more time to go deeper with these songs. On top of all that, I play and cover a lot of these songs I have right. through the years. I mm-hmm. play Wildflowers. I play You Don't Know How It Feels. I've played You Wreck Me. Uh, Naughty covers Time to Move On. That's That was like really? one of the first songs Naughty, my band, my original band, ever had in our set. In fact, we played a gig three days after Petty died, and we slipped this into one of our songs. We went into Time to Move On and back uh, to the original song, to the song Casual Cursor, which is the first track on our record. I just kind of slid it in there and back. And uh, I love I, those. Absolutely. And that's one that actually Pete, our friend Pete Camera, uh, would sing lead on. And it's just such a, it's a song I love for the song itself, because I love the sound of it. And I love what it's about. But on top of it all, I associate that with Pete, with love that I have for my, my musician friend. Because we've been playing that song together for 15 years. We used to have a 90s alternative rock cover band, right? Oh, boy. 15 years ago called Radio Radio, even though that's like a late 70s song, whatever. Uh, And we would cover the most obscure 90s rock. You know, we would cover like Natural One by Folk Implosion and Tahitian Moon by Porno for Pyros and songs that... I know neither of those songs. And like lesser Foo Fighter songs and things like that. Uh, Pepper by Butthole Surfers. like That one I know. That's a great one. (laughs) (laughs) But then we would do Time to Move On in the middle of the set because Pete just loved it so much and he'd be like, oh, it's from the 90s. I'd be like, true. True. <laughs> but I used to drum on it, and it led to this thing that still comes up at Naughty Practice to this day where we started playing it, and Pete started singing, time to move on, time to get going. Well, that was a hit. And he just stopped. He just stopped, and he looked at me, and he just kind of shook his hand a little bit and just went, a little brighter? So a little brighter? <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> For your drumming? Yeah. <laughs> just make it a little brighter. I, was, I can just imagine him. I was so too funny. slow. And yeah. so still to this day, like at Naughty Practice, if we need something... Faster or slower, we say brighter or darker. <laughs> hey, a little darker, okay? Just, yeah. just darken it up a bit. <laughs> yeah, for those of you listening who don't know Pete Camera, who are not in our immediate friend group, you should go back to the Wee's Talk and Wee's feed and listen to our Teal album episode. He is a guest uh, commentator, if you will. Yeah. And and so you can get a pretty decent uh, idea of what kind of flavor he brings to life. Also, our Christmas special, our least listened to episode ever, <laughs> Don't Pete, listen to Pete that. tells a story about your cat jumping out a window <laughs> that is just unparalleled. Yeah. Yeah. You can get a pretty good feel for what we are like when we hang out, not actively podcasting in a professional way. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's a fun episode. So, uh, one point for Petty, one point for Weezer. It's 3-1 Petty, moving into the next round. Round three, lyrics. We touched on lyrics a little bit, you know, earlier in this episode, but Mm -hmm. uh, now we actually get to see who comes out on top, who actually is more successful lyrically to us in this battle. Absolutely, yeah. I think you said it best earlier in that we have two incredibly different people at incredibly different points in their life with two completely different outlooks on that life, respectively. And so I think that's what makes this such a challenging uh, round, because 
like you said, they're touching on a lot of the similar things, right? Uh, loneliness, heartbreak, isolation, losing something that you love or used to love. Yeah, escape. Escape, absolutely. And so it's hard to say who does it better because I think they do it differently. I think you, you hit the nail on the head when you said Tom Petty has this incredible way of just saying something incredibly simply. Uh, whether it hits a rhyme scheme or it doesn't, or he's kind of singing or he's kind of talking. He always just like, he's blunt. He lays out the point and he's like, this is what it is. Um, whereas Rivers kind of takes this approach where he's like, you know what? I think I'm going to be a little witty. I'm going to try to come up with a, a simile or a, a metaphor, or I'm going to say it in a way that no one else would ever say it, you know? And so this was a really challenging thing for me because I think Very similar to Alanis, when the first listen through of this of this album in preparation for the episode, I had a pretty good idea of what he was talking about, and you can kind of very easily hear what he's saying. It's very immediate music, right? It's very very blunt, very simple. He doesn't have a hard to understand accent. Obviously, we know his voice is incredibly unique. But that being said, I think we can't overlook the how impressive the lyrical writings of Rivers Cuomo are. Like the fact that he wrote this record a when he was so young and be so inexperienced as a songwriter and musician i think is something that should not be overlooked and i guess based on on my age and where i am in my life who do i relate to more um so personally i'm gonna give the point to weezer in this category just because it's a tiny little bit of an edge and i think i'm just a little biased as a as a you know late 20 year old i i've never gone through divorce i've never lost a, a relationship of that magnitude so as someone who relates more to the goofiness of, of Weezer, I'm going to give Rivers the point. Right on. And for the opposite reason, I'm going with Petty. Nice. Because I will say, I always loved this music from the time I was young. But now, as an older guy approaching 40, a single man, you know, this music is so where I am. I mean, I don't have kids and I've never been married. But like, yeah. You can relate to Tom loss. Petty is speaking to me. Yeah. You know, and I think he speaks to millions of people and that's why he's so beloved and so kind of like we can all agree on him is for reasons like this. But that said, he's not without his laughable lyrics. I mean, for every homie's dissing my girl and hate to see you lying there in your Superman skivvies, Petty has his share of laughable lyrics as well. Uh, You were so cool back in high school. I mean, that's one of the lamest rhymes you could possibly say. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be king when dogs get wings. That's kind of funny. That's funny, but also in a kind of like a perfect song for me. It's like, why would you put... There has to be another ing rhyme. Yeah, he (laughs) definitely falls into the trope of like having to fit a rhyme scheme very often. I think that's just kind of his formula, you know? And I think the the strongest example of that weakness is to find a friend. Yep. Which tells an amazing story. Yep. But tells it in a very immature or unsophisticated way. Yes. Are you talking about the verses? Yeah. Yeah, the fact... uh, What is the line specifically... Uh, I've got a bunch written here. <laughs> okay, cool. Because I, I also wrote down a lyric from that song to talk about. Ran off to be bad. Boy, it was sad. Yeah. Terrible. Uh, took over the house. Everybody was quiet as a mouse. Boo. Crummy. And what's the one? Wouldn't it, it boy, would have broke your heart. I forget the yep, one. Yep. He squeezes it in there. Yeah. It, when he leaves and another man comes in and everyone was quiet as a mouse, boy, would have broke. I Obviously, I'm not saying it right, but right. more or less. Uh, that being said, I love the chorus it's outstanding and the days went by like paper in the wind everything changed then changed again it's hard to find a friend it's hard to find a friend 
the fact that he says everything changed and then and then changed again. That's the simplest thing. But goddamn, it's powerful. Right. Because he's telling, just, you know, for context, he's telling a story of a middle-aged person leaving his family, seeking a new life, and then realizing that maybe it wasn't so easy to achieve. Yeah. While his ex-wife and his former family moves on without him. And despite all of the reservations I have about the lyrics in the verse and the rhyme scheme, I won't even say, like, what he's saying is bad. I'll just say how he's saying it's bad. When he concludes with, it's hard to find a friend, that breaks my fucking heart. Oh, man. And I love songs that do this, where it's like, I'm not really with this verse. Either one, it's impenetrable. I don't know what they're talking about. Or two, it's so obvious. It's like, all right, does this really need to be written? I swear I wrote those lyrics when I was in eighth grade. And then you just land it with, it's hard to be middle-aged and find companionship. That breaks my fucking heart. Like, I, you know. Yeah. Kind of hits home. Dude. We just talked about a lot of the bad lyrics, but... Oh, oh no. You Not hear- a... Yes! I haven't heard one of those in a while. Oh my god! I, I thought that thing was broken. I thought I was out of batteries. I man, I'll tell you that just got because I was just tearing up, and it was just so nice that to be interrupted by the old euphemism alert. Mm-hmm. That's right, folks. For those of you who haven't heard, this is a labored euphemism alert or alarm that uh, we've been using since the wheeze talking wheeze to the phase. And uh, Chris, you know what I'm about to get to? To be honest, no. What are you gonna? What is the labored euphemism? Come on, go with me, babe. Come on, go with me, girl. Baby, let's go to the cabin down below. Ayo. The cabin down below. Come with me, girl. Ooh. Come with me, babe. Babe. I want to know more about this cabin. Babe. That's all I'm saying. Babe, wait. Also, uh, honorable mention to the song title, Hard On Me. Uh, yeah, I guess that counts. <laughs> At least it's not hard on you. Yeah, that would have been worse. Or hard in you. That would have been real bad. <laughs> oh, real bad. That wouldn't, even, that wouldn't have been labored. <laughs> not that would have been a, a euphemism with ease. A blunt euphemism <laughs> alert. <laughs> sure. So, you know, before we move on to the next category, uh, some other great lines from Petty, though. I'm too alone to be proud. Whoa. Whoa. Like, we've heard that line. I mean, what, hundreds of times in our lives? Probably. That's in You Don't Know How It Feels. I'm too alone to be proud. What a fucking line. It's really strong. Like, who am I to have an ego or to be narcissistic in this time? I'm fucking there's lonely. No one, yeah, there's no one here to prove anything to. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. And then there's this great lyric in Time to Move On. Sometime later, getting the words wrong, wasting the meaning, losing the right. Which is a great lyric about lyrics. Sometime later, getting the words wrong, wasting the meaning, and losing the rhyme. You know, just what, just losing contact with the thing that made you write the thing in the first place. Yeah. Which I totally relate to. Totally. You, you know, and I get this with artists, because even me on my very small scale, uh, before we kind of had to quarantine and all our gigs got canceled, Naughty was preparing for kind of an album release show next month. Great disappointment in my life that it's not happening. And so we got together a couple weeks ago to rehearse for the first time in a long time. And playing some of those old songs, I, I felt so detached from them. Because since we basically started recording this album that we just released i've written like a whole new record for us and so like those are the songs i think about so getting back in the mindset i'm like oh right okay i gotta oh this is about this person and this is how i was feeling it was kind of like a remarkable almost it felt like i was a time traveler dude i think that's the biggest problem with artists is once they release the work 
you're you want to distance yourself. You're, you're over like, it. I'm done because I think uh, who who said it best? Uh, Kumail Nanjiani when they were when after they uh, oh, yeah. made the big sick and they were on the press tour for that movie. He's like, dude, I already made this movie. I invested the energy. It's done. I don't want to do a press tour anymore. Yeah. I, I did this a year and a half ago. Right. You know, and all the passion was already and put into the And he lived that project. story. Exactly. He put the passion into the project. And so to, to have to rehearse music after you've written it, especially years later. Yeah. So I can't even imagine what like popular artists feel who have to go on tour and play songs from 20 years ago. And Petty was always so great about that. He was always willing to play the hits. You know, and sure, like hardcore Petty fans I know would like be like, oh, why doesn't he play songs like Time Move On and songs like, thankfully, he always played Crawling Back to You. Uh, That's awesome. In the set. Like, that was, that was one that would always reemerge. But he's like, man, there are some songs that are record songs and some songs that are live songs. He's like, I don't, I don't, I agree. That's a great song. Time to Move On. That's a great song. You play it in an arena and it dies. It's just not made for that environment. Mm. You know, as much as it'd be great for a certain subset of people to hear these beloved tracks, right? You know, that's, that's good, great insight on his part. That is, it's like, wow, yeah, that is true, and it's not cheap, and you're not doing it just because people like it. You're doing it because you feel the fucking room, yeah, and you know what works. You he know, can, he can read a room, <laughs> absolutely, and he's a pro. Speaking of crawling back to you, last lyric I want to cite, probably my favorite lyric on the record, and maybe my favorite Tom Petty vocal ever. I'm so tired of being tired. Sure as night will follow day Most things I worry about Never happen anyway I keep crawling back to you Most things I worry about never happen anyway. I mean, what an amazing thing for someone with, like, deep anxiety to Mm -hmm. his very core to hear, like, most things I worry about never happen anyway. And you're like, oh. Ah, so why? So why worry? Yeah, yeah. Like uh, the only person who ever said it better was Bobby McFerrin. (laughs) Don't worry. Oh boy. Be happy. He's great. (laughs) As is Tom Petty. As is Rivers. They each get a point in this category. Round four. Vocals. All right. So we've got a score of four to two. Tom Petty taking a lead early on. This is a tough one to talk about, honestly. Another really difficult round. Oh, for sure. I I always love talking about vocal performance because for the most part, we're talking about artists who have very distinctive voices and, and vocal performances, whether they're singing or talking or rapping or whatever the case may be. Or whatever Alanis does. Yep. <laughs> That's Caterwauling. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> um, so I, I think... Both Rivers and uh, Tom have incredibly unique voices, and I think they're kind of known for that, right? I would say Tom Petty more so. Me too. Just because yeah, he's more of a more of an icon, more people know him, more people know what he sounds like. Uh, him and him and Bob Dylan have always been said to have like very similar voices and delivery and that kind of delivery. I would say, yeah, you know? for sure. And obviously, uh, Dylan was a huge influence on Petty, and of course, Petty obviously. and the Heartbreakers served as a backing band for Bob Dylan in uh, the mid '80s on the yeah. True Confessions tour, which they definitely learned a lot from. Yeah, and of course, they were in another band together. They were the Traveling Wilburys. That's right. One of my favorite favorite. Collaboration. Yeah, I, I meant to mention that in the intro, but that was another huge, huge band for me for sure growing up. And of apparently course. you. That's oh, awesome. hell yeah. Yeah. My my uh my mom was a big Will Berry's fan. And my dad too. I mean cool. My dad is a huge George Harrison fan. Nice. Funny enough. Was he, he just rocking Cloud Nine all the time? You know what's crazy? He listened to that and he also really loved uh Dark Horse, which Ooh. is like everyone's obvious like distaste. But that was my first sample in this in this solo harrison music wow and i loved it that's harrison heresy <laughs> as like an eight-year-old i was like yeah 
on a dark horse. That was a weak time for his voice. That was probably the biggest issue of that time. It's mm. like he is never like the best singer ever. Right. But George Harrison at that time was just doing so much cocaine and living so hard that his voice is just shredded. Yeah, pretty brutal. Yeah. But it's so funny because my dad's not even that big of a Beatles fan. But he likes George he Harrison. He loves George Harrison. And not all things must pass. Right. So weird. I don't know. Who is this man? He's an interesting fellow. <laughs> anyway, um, so it, it, long story short, when it comes to vocal performance, I have been listening to Tom Petty my whole life. I love his voice. I think it's one of the most unique voices ever. Um, he does not apologize for what he sounds like, whether it's good or bad. Um, so it's it, it's a pretty definitive point uh, for Tom Petty in this round for me. Cool. What do you got? I'm going the other way. Whoa. We, I so far, four rounds in, I don't think we've ever been this divided. Yeah, right. Usually we're like... And we're jumping back and forth. That's the interesting thing. It's so cool. Yeah. I'm shocked that you're giving this to Rivers. Well, this was a tough call. This is one of the two hardest calls on this record for me, as far as oh. the categories and scoring them. What was the other one? We'll get to it. Oh, okay. Uh, here's why I give it to, to Weezer. I mean, I love Tom Petty's voice. And above all, I love singing Tom Petty's music. And Same. Here's the crazy thing. The two songs I've probably sung in public more than any other songs, even more than my own songs, are American Girl and Sweater Song. Because <laughs> I've been in bands that have played both for a really long time. True. Uh, I think American Girl's probably even eclipsed Sweater Song by this point. Because probably. Because I sing it every time it- when... Dig it, plays. And I think it hits the the nail on the head for more people. Oh, for sure. You know? Like, we don't do Sweater Song in the band that I'm in this particular cover band that I'm describing. But both singers are, like, almost exactly my range. And it's I think you would agree same. with that. And I think that's why we play so much Weezer and Tom Petty together. We love singing these songs together. I love singing with them in the car. Mm-hmm. And I love performing them for people. It's right in that range. Uh, so that's why it's so hard. Yeah. Because it's like saying, like, oh, do I like me better or me better? Now, I don't like my own voice. But God, do I like singing both of these guys. Dude, we, we have that in common in that we're both... Uh, I don't want to sound egotistical, but we both have, uh, we are competent singers. We're competent, yeah. And that we, we understand pitch and have good pitch and can, can execute a song. We can physically sing it, but we both hate our own voices. Oh, for sure. I, I know, I hate, I, know I hate mine. You know who hated his own voice? John Lennon. You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, I mean, that kind of guy kind of blows, but. <laughs> the, his voice is literally my favorite sound in musical history, probably. It's John Lennon's it. voice, and he didn't even like it. So there you go. It's okay not to like your own voice, I think. But the reason why I'm going Weezer here is not just Rivers' lead vocals, which I love. And I love Petty's lead vocals on Wildflowers. It's the vocal arranging mm, okay, okay. and the occasional choice by Petty to go into that spoken kind of delivery. You that just didn't do it for you. Which I you? don't really love. I mean, even though I'm a big Dylan fan and a folk fan, like that's the aspect, the talking blues kind of thing that like turns me off a little bit. And it, I feel like if I were to play even a song I love from this record, like Time to Move On, where he mm-hmm. goes, nauseous adrenaline. <laughs> like, which is just the funniest pronunciation of nauseous that I've ever heard. You know? It's wake up time. Yeah. And then wake up time is another. And what do you think of the fade? So don't On Don't Fade On Me. Like when he goes down in the second and third chorus like that. It's fine. I actually have grown to really like it, but I do feel like that's such a good song. Don't Fade On Me, and that was one of our shared heart songs. Mm-hmm. But like when that hits, I feel like if I played it for the wrong person, they'd be like, the fuck was that? Why they do that? You know what I mean? And I don't think there's a moment on Blue where you would be like, what's Rivers doing vocally there? Like, I feel like his vocals are just fucking on. Yeah, it'd be different if we were talking about Pinkerton. Yeah, for sure. Pinkerton's a divisive approach to performing vocals, and I think that Blue is just like great melodies sung well. 
Yeah. And then great harmony is arranged well. Cool. You know, so that's yeah, why yeah. I had no, to I'm go there. You. I actually think that Wildflowers has some wonderful harmonies throughout, but a lot of them are self-harmonized, which is totally fine. I like the blend of petty and petty. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked about that on multiple other yeah. episodes. Is yeah, but you... it does take some of the value away from the part itself. The arranging, if yes. you would. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Where when we hear my, Matt Sharp singing kind of a flawed falsetto, or Brian Bell singing kind of like just beyond his range, it like kind of hits as more human. Human. Uh, that's that's the word I was going to use. Yeah, uh, but there are some harmony vocals by other singers on this record. Um, Howie Epstein, who is the basis of the Heartbreakers, he only plays on a couple songs on this record, but he does have a wonderful high tenor voice that blended with Petty's beautifully. If you want to hear that on another Petty song, "Into the Great Wide Open," the chorus is. Yep. That high wide open. I mean, that's Howie Epstein in a nutshell. What a great voice. And then on Honeybee, Carl Wilson from the Beach Boys supplies some very buried oohs and ahs in the background, which is almost certainly his best vocal work since uh, God Only Knows. I don't know what you're talking about. You, You know God Only Knows by the Beach Boys? Maybe. God only knows what I'd be without you. Everybody knows that song. I feel like an idiot. <laughs> but that's Carl Wilson singing lead there. And so he must have just been friends with, with Petty and, uh, and, and came in and sang with him. Lindsey Buckingham sang with him, at, uh, not on this record, but around this period as well. Lindsey Buckingham from Fleetwood Mac. Of course, I know, I know who Lindsey Buckingham is. I'm telling, I'm telling the audience. I'm telling the audience. <laughs> There's another crossover. Mike Campbell took over for Lindsey Buckingham that's after right. he left Fleetwood Mac. Mike Campbell being the lead guitarist for the Heartbreakers and then also playing some uh, guitar on this record as oh, well. Oh, yeah, most of the lead guitar is on this record. And co-writing two of the songs. Absolutely. He's really Petty's main co-conspirator throughout his life. Yeah. Is is Mike Campbell. And I actually just saw a live performance, you know, during this quarantine, I just saw a performance of Mike Campbell singing and playing Don't Fade on Me and no sending way. it out to Tom Petty. I saw it on Twitter and I was like, fuck, Mike Campbell's got a really good voice and it just sounded amazing he does great songwriter great songwriter you know what you know another song mike campbell wrote all the music for and produced the track it's not a tom petty song but it's a song every fucking human alive knows i think i do is it boys of summer it is yeah Did we talk about this before no i just knew that oh awesome because everyone i tell that to they're like what but the, I go, so- the song by the ataris it's so crazy <laughs> <laughs> when I first saw an Atari's shirt in high school, I thought it was the Atteris. And I legit was like, who's the Atteris? And my buddy was like, the Atari's? That's like finding out what a clitoris is and being like, what is the clitoris? Wait, how do you say that? Clitoris. That explains so much. I've been saying it wrong for, well, let's see, I'm 36, so three decades. Oh, boy. Round five, production and sound. So Tom keeps the lead. What's the score, Chris? 5-3. Ooh, narrow margin. The the lead is we petit. Et petit lead, s'il vous plaît. <laughs> si. Oh, no. Oui. <laughs> si. <laughs> uh, you know, we had a couple toughies there. Some really hard decisions in the last couple rounds. This one's pretty easy for me, Chris. What do you think? Production and sound. Yeah. Wildflowers sounds insanely good. Every track sounds amazing. It's probably my favorite great sounding record ever. Ever? Jeez, that like, is bold. It's a high fidelity recording. You hear every note in every frequency with such clarity. Of every instrument. Of every instrument. It's mixed beautifully. It's I just I, it's just impeccable. Yeah. Rick Rubin did an incredible job in, yes. in producing this. Whether I don't think he did the physical mixing, obviously. No, he never did. Um no. but he's just he's such a guru and so good at getting the best out of artists. It's like he's 
an incredible human being. If we didn't mention before, Rick Rubin, the incredible producer, produced this record. Um, so it, it was pretty obvious that I, I was going to give this this category to, to Wildflowers. What easily. sounds better, this or Make Believe by Weezer, which is a, another Rick Rubin production, or uh, Death Magnetic by Metallica? Uh, <laughs> Those three. Pick right now. Oh my God. Um, make Death Flowers. Make Death Flowers. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> Do you, do you, did you watch True Detective season one? No. Oh, you should watch it during the quarantine. I've been told that it's pretty You'd really amazing. Like it. But what making, does that have to do? Making with flowers is a really gnarly reference to the season finale of that. Oh God, it has nothing to do with death flowers. It's just making flowers. I think it's a that's it brought that to mind immediately, and I wish it hadn't. Okay. Uh, well, I give my point to to wildflowers. As point. do I. Okay, I had a feeling you would. So Ruben is a Weezer tie-in. There's another Weezer tie-in here on the sound front, which is Joe Barisi who was the initial engineer of Pinkerton, the one who famously said, if you want to sound like the Flaming Lips so much, why don't you get the Flaming Lips producer, Dave Fridman? And so they did. <laughs> but he's one <laughs> of the then best. he got canned. Yeah. But he's one of the best in the business, and he serves as assistant engineer on this uh, production of well, Wildflowers. And yeah. boom, I mean, it, there's a reason he's the best in the biz. Like, what a sounding record. Serious. Um, of the songs in this record, which would you describe as the most classic, petty sounding? Oh, God. Uh, I mean... You wreck me is pretty. Absolutely, I mean, you Number know what one. I mean, and and it's to, that a because it sounds so him, and it it sounds it's got that rock feel, you know. And yeah. when I say sounds him, his voice obviously, uh, the recording on his voice is is um, incredible, and then the drumming and the bass and the it just sounds it, that could be a heartbreaker song. Oh yeah, for sure. And, really and for the longest time, I didn't know it wasn't. Right, I mean, and it is. I mean, that's the band playing, for right? Because sure. because Mike Campbell co-wrote it and, and wrote the guitar line and everything for that song, anyway. Right. So right, and Ben Montench is on keyboards. It's it's a Heartbreakers record, and it remained in their set list to their dying days, literally. Yeah. Oh, oh, damn, man, damn. Soul is soul is gone. Damn. That was Burns' text to me. Soul is gone when she texted me to tell me that Tom Petty died. Oh. She wrote, and this is my ex-girlfriend, but someone I, I care about deeply and, and I consider a dear friend. I get a text on my way to work. Three texts in a row. And she's from El Salvador and is a very abrupt and fast texter. So three texts in a row. Tom Petty just die. Here attack. Soul is gone. <laughs> and I was like, I, if Tom Petty's really dead, this is very sad, but this is probably the funniest... <laughs> Like obituary text I've ever oh seen. We've had some serious like celebrity deaths in terms of like realizing them because you. I remember you told you told me about Tom Petty, mm. and I was heartbroken. Oh, and then just oh, I, I was a heartbreaker. Yeah, and then just like a couple weeks ago, we were at the rock gym together, and you're like, "Dude, Kobe Bryant just died." Yeah. So like, we I had, treaded very lightly, and we actually had just finished recording our REM episode, which is a. An album all about death, and we drove up to go to the rock gym together, and I got a text from Pete Camera that just said, no context, R.I.P. Kobe. And oh I was my. like, what? <laughs> and he was like, helicopter crash. That was it. I was like, man, that was like Fuck so Fucking Pete. <laughs> yeah, can you at least make it funny like Burn did? I mean, she didn't mean to make it funny, but soul is gone. Soul is gone. To which, of course, I responded, yours or his? And she just wrote both. <laughs> Touche. Another one that I think sounds like the Heartbreakers, a like classic Heartbreakers 60s throwback sound, would be A Higher Place. We gotta get to a higher place and we gotta leave by night. Before that river takes us down, we gotta find somewhere that's dry. Gotta... Okay, I could see that. 
I could see that. Which I, I just always think that they're one of the best bands ever at channeling that 60s spirit and sound in their music. Yeah. And they were always a band, uh, the Heartbreakers were, that like, was tough to really pigeonhole because they always felt like they were associated with acts older than they actually were. If you think their first record came out in 76, like the Talking Heads first record came out in 77. You know, the Ramones came out in the same time period. Blondie, like all these new wave bands and punk bands. So like Petty was like, well, this is kind of like old school American rock and roll, which is kind of like what punk is because it's all revved up and distorted and yeah. fast, but it also kind of sounds like the birds. So what the fuck is this? And that's kind of what made him so great was yeah. he, he basically just like carved out this lane for himself. He bridged a gap. Yeah. That like we didn't even know was there, but mm-hmm. it was like, oh, everyone can like you, but you couldn't like the Ramones and love Led Zeppelin. Do you know what I mean? Like, now yeah. you can. But I'm yeah. saying in 1977, it was like two worlds. True. Where Petty was kind of walking that line between classic rock and modern and new wave, you know? Definitely. But he fits so well into classic rock now. It's like no question. Oh, yeah. Because even this from the 90s, which, I mean, it's 26 years ago now, so it is classic rock, but, like, it would fit right in with anything off, like, Houses of the Holy by Led Zeppelin or something, Easily. weirdly enough. Yeah. Okay, so easy points for Petty there. 7-3 at the Ooh, midway point. Boy, moving yes. into the, what we call the back nine. Yeah. <laughs> Do for, we? For, for you golfers or disc golfers out there. <laughs> moving into the, the last five rounds, it's going to be a tough one because these are all almost very heavily weighted towards Weezer. But before we get there... Mm-hmm. Our favorite little experiment. Our favorite little experiment here. Our favorite little segment of the program. Which Weezer song could possibly fit... On Wildflowers. And we're talking about a Weezer song that's not on Blue. Post-Blue Weezer. Correct. So what do you think? Was this easy or hard to come up with? I had a pretty easy easy go with this. Cool. Um, just the, A, because I had listened to it recently, and I thought, oh, this, honestly, instrumentation, kind of sort of lyrics, and also produced by Rick Rubin. It was kind of like a no-brainer. Oh, man. I wonder if we chose the same one. What did you go I have with? a funny feeling we probably did. I chose... The song Freak Me Out off of Make Believe. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so we did not choose the same song. We did choose from the same record, and partly because Rick Rubin produced it. It just has that feel. It does have that feel. There aren't too many Weezer records that have this really like down tempo, uh, relaxed kind of music. So anytime we have sort of like an acoustic record or a folksy record, it's going to be hard to choose. I have trouble reconciling the harmonics, though, like the use of harmonics on the guitar. Mm, because oh. like that's something that Petty would never do. Like it's true. Mike Campbell would never do. Like so right. that's the only well, you, reason. You've got you've got the harmonica at the end. You've got true. the uh, kind of just like the way he sings. I could honestly see Tom Petty singing that. Maybe not the I words think, freak me out. Also. Right, but the harmony is not dissimilar to the way harmonies sound on Wildflowers. I agree with you there. Yeah. And additionally, I think the drum sound is actually quite comparable. I couldn't agree more. I wrote that down as well. It's just like very, very simple, basically no um, hiccups, no change. It's just like... Right. And he's clearly playing with bundle sticks, you know, not straight up drumsticks, but like the bundles a la Dave Grohl on Nirvana Unplugged in New York. So my make-believe choice here... Can I guess? Of course. I mean, there's really only two options. I'm going to say it's Haunt You Every Day. No. Ah, 
Did I choose that? Be- oh, no, you chose that in the past? I think I did. Okay. I guess technically I could choose that because I didn't choose it in the past. Right. But uh, no, not Haunt You Every Day, but that's a fine choice. I think it would actually fit because there is piano, piano. on Wildflowers. Yep, I thought that was, that was going to be my runner-up. So I just, you want to guess one more? Mm, no, I don't want to guess it. Just tell me. <laughs> fine. I'm bad. Peace. Okay, cool. Okay, because sonically, not that far off. Acoustic guitar based. I could totally hear Mike Campbell playing that pentatonic guitar melody that starts the song. It has lyrical clarity to it. And it has whoa-oh-oh-ohs in the bridge. And that's not unlike something like Crawling Back to You. Totally. You know, so I thought that's as close as I could get. And also just the spirit of the song, the energy of the song, I think is not unlike the energy that permeates Wildflowers by and large. Yeah, I definitely, I'm with you. That's a good choice. I like that song, by the way. Of course. It's like, yeah, that's a song I still, I, I would listen to. I completely forgot about its existence, Make quite believe, honestly. Make Believe's underrated. Yeah. Because it has the two fucking worst singles in Weezer's history. Well, we've had so much time on our hands, being alone, exploring our interests and exploring our creative lives and trying to be productive. Well, I just went down this insane rabbit hole. Uh, for the last 24 hours or so, where I learned and analyzed every song in Weezer's catalog. Oh my God, you nerd. (laughs) It actually, you know, to quote George Costanza in The Race by Seinfeld, didn't really take that long either. Uh, (laughs) You know, because most of the songs are pretty basic. I literally did half of them sitting in in my car by the beach, you know, like Mm -hmm. like just looking out at the ocean. But my point for this is that I'm probably going to start making some YouTube videos, some more YouTube analysis videos. And what I'm after in these videos is chasing down what makes the Weezer sound the Weezer sound. What is it that makes a Weezer song? You know, what's that thing that we go, oh, that's so Weezer. Yeah. And so what I did was kind of learn every song, at least, you know, in very broad terms. And I'm going to dig more deeply in as I get into specific episodes of the series. But uh, it was great to revisit some of these tracks. And Peace was one that stood out like, oh, yeah, the second it hit. And also, I love the pentatonic scale, so that's partly why, too. And if you want to hear more explanation about that, listen to Wheeze Talking Wheeze on Make Believe, where I dig deep into the pentatonic scale with musical examples. Round six, riffs. The back nine. Let's do it. 7-3 Petty as we get into riffs. And I think this is a chance for Rivers and Weezer to, to, to claw back a little bit, because clawing back to you. Ooh, nice. Because <laughs> I'm going to have to give it to Blue here. Yeah. I agree. It's kind of a no-brainer. There aren't that many riffs in Wildflowers. It's not about the riffs. It, this is not a riff record at all. Um, it's not devoid of good riffs and great no. musical moments, obviously. Of course, of course. I, I did write down a couple sort of standout riffs uh, for Wildflowers. Uh, I have the solo on It's Good to Be King. That, that's a great solo. Uh, let's start there. I mean, that's that's the best solo on the record by a 
country mile. Yeah, I can't think of anything else that comes close. Well, it's funny. Mike Campbell's such a great guitarist. I think his soloing throughout Wildflowers really harkens back to his blues and R&B and kind of rockabilly roots. There's just a lot of bending and just kind of blues scale playing. Yeah, and they're all slow. You know, there's there's no shredding of any kind. No, no, there and isn't. All the solos are singable. And I think that's really important. Well, it's funny. A solo like on You Don't Know How It Feels is literally a one-note bend. But it's how he bends it and how he releases it and how he goes back up. And he does it up an octave and then down an octave later in the song. And it's just like tasteful, smart, restrained guitar playing. Now, I'm not even saying this is a bad thing. I'm not saying that Campbell's playing is bad on this record. I think it's great. Yeah. But there's just very little of it that stands out like, what a great lead, a la American Girl or something like that, or Refugee, or just like the hits that have great soloing on them. I think he's generally an undervalued guitarist. I think he's truly oh, man. a master guitarist. Well, I don't even know if he's undervalued. I mean, he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> I mean, I guess. Is there a Mike Campbell bust at the Rock and Ball Roll Hall of Fame? So I don't know if he was inducted as a the as heartbreaker, a, as a heartbreaker but they I mean, were. he's he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It counts. <laughs> but yeah, I'm laughing because like that matters. <laughs> Fuck yeah, of course it does. Of course it does. And of course, another another casualty of this whole ordeal is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction has been postponed. No. Which is a shame, actually, because it was my excuse to get Nine Inch Nails Downward Spiral on this show sooner than later, because I wanted it to coincide with their induction in May. Oh, yeah. So yeah, now you're big on that. You you think about that big picture kind of thing, whereas I'm just like, what do you want to talk about? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, not for, not for this one, because remember, my, my reasoning for this one was, can we listen to something I love? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Chris literally texted me. We had a different record planned. Uh, we, we won't spoil it, because it'll come up in the coming months. But he's literally like, dude, I need something that I like. Yeah. Can we, and I was just like, oh, geez. <laughs> Chris is sad. <laughs> um, getting back to that It's Good to Be King solo, it kind of follows the Weezer Green album template, but just does it so well. Way better. Yeah, he's not completely ripping off the vocal melody, It's but it's derived therefrom. Right, very artfully yep. and musically and expressively derived from just Petty's vocal. That bluesy release at the end is so good, too. That's the one part where it kind of lets the guitar player in him come out, mm -hmm. you know? And he even kind of, like, muffs a note there at the end, and it doesn't fucking matter at all. The tone oh, is great. Oh, I love that shit. I love it. I love when something gets fucked up and they leave it in the recording. Yeah. Whether it's, like, intro, like, static or feedback or just, like... For sure. Or the, the count-in. I, I love the humanity in records, which you get in uh, Honeybee, which is really cool, too. Yeah. Like, Talk about a, really <laughs> one of the standout riffs on the record. Yeah, true. Heavy. One it's of the a, few riffs. A, a like, chugger. A <laughs> chugger. Big, fat, crunchy chugger. Yeah. Crunchy guitar nugs. Yeah. And You Wreck Me is arguably like a classic riff. It's chords, mm -hmm. but so is Back in Black. I mean, uh, you know, there's leads in there, but, you know, three chords, somehow you know immediately, and they're very common chords, D, A, and E, super common in rock and roll music, but you know immediately, You Wreck Me. Yeah. Right? And that's a riff. 
the harmonica and you don't know how it feels. Tremendous. Tremendous. Not even like virtuosic, not it, just perfect. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I really love, I love the chord progression uh, and the changes in the chorus of Don't Fade On Me. Don't fade No, don't fade on me Like, that's so cool. Yeah. And that's one of the best sounding acoustic guitar tones I've ever heard. Yeah. Like it's so exposed, it's so full, it's so rich. Mm-hmm. It feels like it feels like I could touch it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Chris the Elder has a massive boner for this record and how it sounds. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, no shame. I just looked down. I was actually concerned that I actually did. Totally shameless. Um and let's talk a little bit about the aristocrat, Ben Montench. Mm. And his work on this record, which is quite great, particularly on It's Good to Be King, yeah. which has two standout elements. One, just the four-note melodic figure that starts the song. <laughs> Benmont was actually at the Newport Folk Festival this past year. In 2019, he performed a solo set where he just played piano and sang, which was compelling as hell. Like, and so I was filming, and I, I just I wanted to go because I'm a big fan of Ben Montench, and I like him, and I like him in interviews, and I like his playing, and I couldn't leave. I, I was just like, I am. I want to hear every note he's playing. And then he later sat in with Phil Lesh and friends, like the Phil Lesh from the Grateful Dead, uh, on keys. The whole set jammed with them on like, you know, absurd Grateful Dead music. And then was part of the house band on Sunday night for the huge sing-along set at which Kermit the Frog appeared, Jim James from My Morning Jacket, Fleet Foxes, The Shins, like uh, Judy Collins. A lot of amazing people came out, and he was the pianist in that set, along with Chris Funk on guitar, who's from the Decemberists, the drummer of Slater Kinney, Janet Weiss, wow. and the bassist of Wilco. That's the fucking band. Jeez. Like, Ben Montage was all over that weekend. He was my MVP of the weekend, besides maybe, you know, Brandy Carlisle and Dolly Parton. <laughs> so, uh, he just, you know, he's just someone I really admire. Those notes to start, it's good to be king, another basic chord progression, but the second I hear his piano notes, I know what awaits. Mm-hmm. Then later in the song, Three piano notes repeated over and over and over again. My favorite riff on this record. Those swinging eighth notes on just three notes... And the three notes, I believe, are F-sharp, G, and then a D up above. It's a three-note phrase where in 4-4 four, four time, he never once resets to beat one. A lesser player, or a safer player at least, would go like this. Eight-note phrases, right? Clean beginning, clean end, restart. Mm-hmm. He lets it transcend the bar line. And since it's a three-note phrase, it will naturally reset at one every three measures. Yep, lowest common denominator, 12. Yeah, absolutely. So, 
I mean, that's musical geekery. You don't need to know that to appreciate the musicality of that. But once you do, you're just like, oh man. Because it fights every instinct in your musical being to not reset, yep. to not hit on the strong beat. Mm-hmm. But he lets each note of the three note phrase take its turn being the first note. It's pretty awesome. I, I've loved that from the moment I heard it. I didn't even know what it was. I didn't know why I loved it at the time. I love the notes he chooses because of the key we're in and just he's focusing on the minor ninth and the minor seventh and it's just a great sound. But on top of all, all of that, it's something I always do in my music, almost to a fault, but I hate resetting on one. That's why I hate things like the Coldplay clocks rhythm. Like the it's beautiful square. day. It squares up every mm-hmm. fucking time. It's like, just transcend it. Ride it out. People will go with you. I swear to God. It's true. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because they go with you here. It's Good to Be King was a fucking single, a pretty successful one with a popular video of Tom Petty walking around looking sad in denim. But, <laughs> but I mean, every time it came on, I was like, hold on. It was like a Stop the World song. I have these songs in my life where I just go, if it comes on the radio, obviously mostly when I was a kid because that's when I listened to the radio, I would just be like, hold on, hold on. Stop the World. This song's on. Need to hear it. And it's good to be king was one of those. Yeah, so we basically just took the last 10 minutes to give the point to Weezer and then talk about how good the riffs are (laughs) on Wildflowers. So I just want to say, everything we just talked about is incredible, but is it better than these? And unfortunately, the answer is going to have to be no. Yeah. Like as, a, as an instrumentalist, no, absolutely not. Right. But both are great. Hell yeah. Round seven, rhythm section. Weezer's digging out of the flower bed right now. <laughs> seven, five, petty with another pretty good Weezer category rhythm section. Let's That's see, right. Chrissy, what do you think? Oh, I'm giving it to Blue Album for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Obviously. Me too. Me too. Th- there is almost no rhythm section to speak of. I mean, half these songs are... Tom Petty playing acoustic guitar by himself or piano well, by himself. Well, that's not, not true. There's drums on most no, tracks. No, there are. There are. There are percussion at the very least. We even get Ringo Starr. Ringo Starr on To Find a Friend. The Beatle himself. For no apparent reason. I wanted to know, is he credited for playing Triangle? He must be. <laughs> I mean, who else is going to bring Triangle that to is, the game? That has to be the most epic use of Triangle since like In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel, I think. <laughs> Tom, Tom, I brought a Triangle. <laughs> that was the most Get- cockney Beatle. Can I play it? <laughs> <laughs> Can I play it? Uh, yeah, it, I mean, it, it is a nice feel for that song, but yeah, that's probably I the, guess. It feels just like percussion. It I have supports. no need for triangle pretty much ever. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. I was in the orchestra at Rhode Island College one semester, and I played triangle on Rimsky-Korsakoff's Scheherazade. Dude. It was an astonishingly hard part <laughs> and i wasn't even a percussionist i just wanted out a chorus so, so i was like oh, i'll play drums because i'm a drummer but i right. was not an orchestral percussionist so sure. they would put me on cymbals and stuff and then they'd be like all right cool well you do triangle great and i looked at the chart and i was like oh shit i Jesus. used to like actually know how to play triangle <laughs> and it worked out great but it's an amazing part next time next time you all listen to scheherazade by rimsky korsakoff i mean i listen to it at least once a week it's a wonderful thing i bet jen langevin right now is going like yeah fuck yeah rimsky korsakoff yeah i'm more of a shostakovich number five kind of guy but uh i played that as well really in the orchestra dude people need to listen to that absolutely that is one of the greatest orchestral arrangements ever 
I've been on a huge classical kick during this quarantine. Oh, cool. Yeah, Classica, which is like a streaming service for classical performances and educational programs, is free right now. Like, they were like, you, you know, no credit card information, not first month free, just here, it's free. Watch it. So cool, man. And so I was like, oh, awesome. And so I signed up and... Uh, and immediately was just went down the rabbit hole. Yeah. You know who else should be doing that? You know the program Masterclass? Yes. They, I, I subscribed one year. Dude, they need to it's make amazing. that free right now because it's unbelievable. I know. For, for musicians, for cooking, for everything. Fitness, everything. Yeah, aspiring f- screenwriters. Yeah. Directors. It, yeah, I really. Marty Scorsese. Oh, uh, fucking Al Pacino. <laughs> fucking <laughs> Joe Pesci. <laughs> <laughs> You're way off. <laughs> well, you said Scorsese, so I'm like, who does he work with? <laughs> yeah, he didn't say De Niro first. Weirdly well, enough. he was gonna—he was coming up if he hadn't stopped me. <laughs> I always put Pesci above De Niro. Pesci above De Niro? I love Joe Pesci because of his work in Home Alone. Well, he was real good in that. Uh, but no, I'm just a huge Pesci fan. Did you like him in The Irishman? Oh fuck yeah! He was way that's better. My, that's was my favorite performance ever by him. Ever by Pesci? Yeah, I think Home Alone's better. <laughs> I'm a Stern guy. I like Daniel Stern. Oh, he's good too. Yeah, no, but I think I think Pesci did a better job than De Niro in in The Irishman, personally. Yeah, like every time he was on screen, I could not take my eyes off him. He had such a quiet intensity to him that Amazing. you never see. Usually, he has a very loud intensity. Yeah, to him. like those piercing black eyes with like the fake like aged makeup. Like, yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Anyway, so Petty's rhythm section at large. This album was the introduction of Steve Ferroni as the drummer for Petty and the Heartbreakers going forward. Uh, the original drummer of the Heartbreakers was out of the picture. They bring in Steve Ferroni, who has just been performing with Eric Clapton, and obviously they're mutual friends. And he came in and they played You Don't Know How It Feels, or maybe it was You Wreck Me. Either way, Petty was like, okay, great, this is the guy. And he was with him till the end. Uh, and it's a funny thing, because on paper, the rhythms on this record could not be more basic, could not be more simple. Yep. Kick, snare, kick, snare. Or, if he's feeling tricky... Kick, kick, snare. Yep. Kick, kick, snare. But there's a deceptive amount of feel and personality and swing in Ferroni's playing. And it's in the hi-hat, in the cymbal work. That is like Timmy's first drum beat, right? (sighs) Kick, kick, snare, kick. That's We Will Rock You. Right. But you listen to that hi-hat, where he's placing the accents on the upbeats, not on the downbeats. He's not going open the way I just beatbox because I can't. Uh, it sounded like I was going with an open hi-hat. It's just the way he's striking he's the hi-hat. And he's striking it in between the strong beats versus on the strong beats. Those little things add up to like a real feel, despite yeah. the simplicity on paper of these rhythms. Man, I would have completely overlooked that, so I'm glad you pointed that out. There actually are some nice drum fills, too, on a song like House in the Woods. It's really one of the only instances of drum fill on the entire record. There's some like introduction stuff, like on uh, Crawling Back to You, doom, boom, before right. he hits in on one like pickup notes. Mm-hmm. But those are some really good fills for that 6 8 feel of that song. And, and it's nice to hear Ferroni shine a little bit. His thing is like, listen, man, it's about the song. I'll supply the pocket. You do your thing. Everything is beholden to the singer in the song. Yeah, I agree. This is very much a, a songwriter's record, you know? Yeah. And, and so, so the rhythm section kind of falls to the wayside. Kind of a. Uh, a tough category for for Tom in this, just because it's very blatantly obvious who's going to take this one. Especially uh, with my newfound love for for Wilson on Blue, yeah, which seriously. is just budding right now. It's true, and, and I think it's completely justified. And with that, we got a tie score. 
Seven apiece, guys. Round eight. Sequencing and arranging. Can Weezer do it? Can they fully dig themselves out of the hole they dug for themselves by not being as good as Petty? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not as seasoned. As not Petty. as seasoned, right, right. Uh, Petty's him, a vet. Him and his boys. <laughs> um, in this category, one of Weezer's strongest yeah. sequencing and arranging, I'm giving it to Tom Petty. What? Yeah. Do you know why? No. I couldn't <laughs> fathom why. A 15-song record. Okay. 62 minutes. Hear me out. Sequencing, Weezer is better. Yeah. By a small margin. Arranging, Wildflowers is better by a bigger margin. Oh. So. That's interesting. I think even though the songs on Wildflowers are so barren a lot of the time and and very stripped down and raw, there is quite a bit of instrumentation involved in a lot of these other tracks. Some are, are full band, you know, bass, drums, guitar, auxiliary percussion singing but then we have a lot of tracks that have Hammond organ or harmonica or piano and so I think that took a little bit more um, finesse in the in the mixing and the editing to make that all sound cohesive and great and we've already talked about how amazing this sounds so whether it was Tom or 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 Campbell or one of the other musicians saying hey I think we should add this here or this here I think that the the arrangement of the individual songs is stronger on wildflowers that being said, I personally would have rearranged a few of the songs in Wildflowers to make the sequencing a touch better. But that being said, I think the sequencing in Wildflowers is also really good. You've got this great blend of like harder, quote-unquote, rocking songs that kind of sound like Heartbreaker songs, and then you have these really stripped-down, bare, emotional, more acoustic-sounding songs. And I think they did a really nice job of never really stacking two of the harder or two of the softer songs back-to-back. They did a really nice job of keeping songs... Um, in different keys apart from each other. I think they did a good job of, of keeping songs in different time signatures apart from each other. So I think the sequencing in, in Wildflowers is really good. It isn't perfect, which is what I would consider Blue to be, perfectly sequenced. And so that's a small margin for Blue, but the, the arranging is just much better on, on Wildflowers, and that's kind of why I had to give it to them. Yeah, it's like when the approach to uh, presenting a song is so stark and minimal... It makes every note matter, and it makes every choice matter. Yes. Think of how the piano slowly starts trickling in on a track like Wildflowers, the title track. You belong in that home by and by. You belong among the wildflowers. You belong somewhere close to me. Far away from your trouble. You know, there's no piano to start that song and all of a sudden oh wow there's this nice high piano now complimenting the guitar and then oh wow there's this harmony now and that harmony sounds huge it's not even much of a harmony it's mostly one note you know but it because it was paid off after two minutes of patient listening exactly there's so much patience involved so i do know what you mean i am going weezer here because i mean blue album's amazingly arranged it is like oh yeah we can't sell that short this was not an easy decision right these guys knew how to play guitar bass and drums together and make them work and it's also minimal in its own way and so big changes like an added kick drum hit or an octave guitar all of a sudden matter a great deal an added harmony matters a great deal and it's perfectly sequenced i think the blue album we talk about it every episode but like and it's not always enough to make this win but the blue album is just a perfect sequencing job the first five tracks of Wildflowers, one of the best stretches of any record I've ever heard. Mm. Like, boom, 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 boom. Perfect pacing, 
spacing of similar sounding songs, not overdoing it with the rock, not overdoing it with the sad bastard. Just perfect. The last three tracks of Wildflowers. I mean, I couldn't close a record maybe in any better way. It's just so good. But it's just too many songs, and it's just tough to make a coherent statement. And this was intended to be a double LP. And the label, Warner Brothers, was like, I don't know, Tommy. I know, I know, <laughs> I know you just sold a lot of copies of Greatest Hits, but this isn't a Greatest Hits. This is a very mature record. I don't think people are ready for two discs of this. So they made him... Pair- I know you would have been. <laughs> oh, I would have loved it. They made him pare it down, though, to uh, this single album. But hey... It's still 62 minutes long and 15 tracks long. He fit on his oh, favorite it's super songs. Beefy. Oh, yeah. Round nine, skippability factor. Eight points apiece, people. Oh, my goodness. Four- I don't think we've ever come into the, the closing two rounds this hot. That may be true. You know, this is really quite a barn burner we got. Yeah. So, let's talk about it. Skippability factor, one of the most challenging competitive rounds for the. Zero room for error. Exactly. Yeah. So if you have not listened to this podcast before, let me fill you in. Our opinion on Weezer's Blue Album is that it has a skippability factor of zero, meaning we have no songs that we would want to ever skip at any point in time. We're not saying that all of them are hard songs and that we're deeply in love with all of them, but we would never once think, we would never fathom considering hitting the skip button when we put on Blue Album. Never. So to beat that, the challenging record must A, have more than 10 songs. Check. And, and B, have a skip five zero as well. Yes. <laughs> which is very hard. Chris, I know you love this record. I know you've lived with this record for a very long time. You're very biased about this record. But th- this You whole- say it like it's a bad thing. No, no, no. I just, as a fact. I have a relationship with this record. You have a very deep relationship with this record. Both records, obviously. But at 15 songs and an hour and 10 minutes long, what is the skippability factor of this record for you, Chris the Elder? Let's have a look here. Zero. Holy shit. Oh I my feel God. like you knew I was going there. I had a feeling, but I wasn't 100% sure. Man. I think if you had asked me in the abstract, you know, six months ago, do you like every song on Wildflowers? I would have been like, no, I'm sure I don't. Through this process, you really have revealed to you how you feel about a, a record and its songs. Mm-hmm. And I listened to this record a lot in the last couple of weeks, right. which was a joy. And Always I never, is. I never wanted to skip one song. Damn. That's the test, right? Ooh, Especially is. after repeated listening, because I have to say, I am not someone who repeatedly listens to any record. Really? I, I, I'm always moving on to the next thing. Oh, see, I'm, I'm a big time. I'm I know, a, I can tell that. Listener. Yeah, like, and I think that's why you're better at lyrics. I think that's part of the reason why you're better at lyrics. I think you're li- linguistically a gifted person, like in general, like accents oh, and just thanks, understanding man. language. Really um, yeah, no, and it's true. It's what I, one of the things I like most about you. Um, Fuck my personality. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, but it's also repeated listening, which is something I rarely do. This show and the Weezer show are so good because it makes me really live with music in a way I typically don't have the, I won't say patience for, but just desire for. Yeah. I just love a lot of music and always want to be listening to it. So that's the trouble. So living with this record in basic solitude, Mm -hmm. I couldn't have been happier. Even tracks I do have, you know, some honorable mentions would be Cabin Down Below in a Higher Place. And even Honeybee is a song that I've kind of come and gone on with a little bit because it's not really my kind of song. Right. But fuck if it's not entertaining. It fuck is, if it's not fun. It is entertaining. And you you just listed a couple of my skip abilities. Yeah, I, I had a hunch. I actually, sadly, maybe not sadly, but objectively, I have four. Four skippable songs wow. on this. Uh, Only a Broken Heart, Honeybee, Cabin Down Below, House in the Woods. 
I don't hate him, but I, I don't need to listen to him. What is it about Only a Broken Heart? I don't know. It, it, something about the, the chord progression and how he sings it, it just kind of just feels... Eh. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I just don't need to listen to it. I just love that song so much. It's so Beatlesy that song. It's Beatlesy. I knew you were gonna say yeah. that. I, if it sounds exactly like a Beatles song, the double tracked vocal. Yep. The nature of the chord progression. It sounds like uh, you know, if I fell off of a hard day's night, or yeah. even one of the acoustic. I had a funny of- feeling you were gonna bring that up, and I you beat me to it. Not to say that I don't like the Beatles, obviously, but it, that, that's just not my not my particular kind of song. Honeybee and Cabin Down Below, I think, are repetitive. I thought you would like those songs. I think they're repetitive and kind of blah. I'm not a huge fan. I like the intro of Honeybee. Yeah. <laughs> I love the talking part. The talking. All right, here we go. A little number we call Give Me Some Sugar, Little Honey, Natural Bee. <laughs> Give Me Some Sugar, Little Honey. <laughs> He says it's so weird. Yeah. What is he, Bert? From, from from Sesame Street? No, from Bert's Beeswax. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's how he coaxes the honey out of them. Little honey, natural bee. <laughs> like, it's the- a nice bit of levity. That whole track, I think, is a nice bit of levity on the record. Yeah. And I think Petty was surprised that people really like that song as much as they seem to. Yeah. It's just, I'm, I have never been a huge fan of the blues, even even when I was studying music. You know, as a jazz performer, all you do is when you're with your combo. All right, let's warm up. E flat blues. It's it's not my not my cup of tea. Not to Mine say neither. that I don't like Clapton or Cream or anything like that, but not really a blues guy. I'm with you. Uh, one last note about Honeybee before we move on to the final round. Petty, while promoting this record, performed on Saturday Night Live. Do you know who his drummer was for this performance back in '94, maybe early '95? Oh God, would I even have a ability to guess this? Am I? gonna have yes you know this person was he a drummer of the of the time like a yeah of, of like petty's time well what is petty's time oh yeah good point good point <laughs> um geez i don't know let's say chris guess this god damn it that's the thing i don't know many drummers hmm. tommy you... lee <laughs> <laughs> hey tommy lee did later drum with smashing pumpkins no way yeah cool you don't know i don't I'll know it once you say it. <laughs> Mr. Dave Grohl. No way. So. Jeez. Kurt Cobain had just killed himself, April of 94. Good God. Grohl was just like, fuck, shut it down. Stop playing music. The first music he played after Kurt Cobain's death was with Tom Petty. Tom Th- Petty reached out to set? him. Yeah. Holy crap. And, and, uh, and he was like, fuck yeah, that sounds like fun. Let's do it. You know? Jeez. Petty reached out to him, you know, and, and, and Grohl was like, ah. All right, you know, and had so much fun. And Petty asked, you want to hit the road with us? You want to do the tour? You know, because they were about to embark on this huge tour. It's a hugely successful record. And uh, Grohl had just, his other therapy, musical therapy at this time, was recording the first Foo Fighters record, which he did really in, in, in a week or 10 days by himself playing every instrument at a small studio in Seattle. And he was like, I got this new thing. 
I kind of got to see it through. So he decided to pursue the Foo Fighters thing, put a band together to play those songs on a road, on a van tour, and they're actually celebrating their 25th anniversary, and their van tour just got canceled. They were right, going to play a lot, of the room, a lot of the towns that they played on that first go-round where no one knew who they were. That's awesome. Because it's like the drummer Nirvana's singing. I mean... Right, you're like, who cares? Yeah, well, when I learned it, I was like, this is amazing. Because he did sing one Nirvana B-side, a song called Marigold, back on the Heart Shaped Box single, and I was like, oh, Dave Grohl has a sweet voice. Arguably better than Kurt Cobain. Mm, yeah, d- yeah, different, different good. I like Kurt Cobain's heavy voice better, but I think Grohl's sweet voice is better. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like on ballads, I think sure. it's tremendous. But, oh, yeah. but when, the, when it breaks up, I think that no one rivals Kurt Cobain and just the angst you can kind of channel there. Absolutely. So that's just like my rant about Honeybee, but like a, kind of an amazing tie into another legend now, Dave Grohl, really one of the best ambassadors for music that exists, even though I'm not the biggest Foo Fighters fan anymore. Like, I still like him. Hell yeah. Oh, he's so cool. Round 10, closing track. So if I'm not mistaken, this is the first time we've come into the final round with a full tie. Quite possibly. Usually by this point, my tie's undone, kind of like Frank Sinatra leaning on a piano. I don't know why you get so dressed up. This is an audio medium. <laughs> well, we're about to do a live Instagram uh, feed uh, oh, yeah. right after this. So that's and if you're why. hearing this now, then you missed it. You missed it. Maybe we'll do others if we're allowed to be in a room together. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Well, actually, we could do it remotely. It'd be kind of fun. That's actually not that bad. Yeah. Anyway, so... Enough, <laughs> enough, enough delaying uh, the uh, results here. I, I am on the edge of my seat. I know. And my dress trousers are getting a crease. <laughs> so, close. they're supposed to have a crease. It's a good thing, people. I don't yeah. want you to be concerned about my dress trousers. Please, please, please people, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right, without further ado, Chris, I want you to tell me who you're giving your point to and why. This was the other hardest one. Oh. So, right now, we are talking about Only in Dreams. One of the greatest closers of the 90s, if not ever, versus Wake Up Time. You follow your feelings, you follow your dreams, you follow the leader into the tree. And what's in there waiting, neither one of us knows. Gotta keep one eye open the further you go. You never dream you'd go down on one knee. Arguably another fantastic closing track. Very fantastic closing track. Very fantastic. Captain Fantastic. <laughs> In the Mud Dirt Cowboy. Is that what it is? I have no idea what you're talking about. Brown Dirt Cowboy. That's an Elton John record. Was oh. Someone Saved My Life Tonight? Jeez, I wouldn't know. Come on, Kanye sampled it. Anyway. I don't even know who Kanye is. Okay. I love that song, Wake Up Time. I really love it. Cool. I love Only in Dreams. What happens to me with Wake Up Time is that I love, love, love Crawling Back to You. The closing track of this record should be Crawling Back to You. I have the same thing in my notes. <laughs> we finally agree on something. When Crawling Back to You ends, I feel... Our work here is done. I feel so complete. Yeah. Like... I usually have completed. I'm not surprised, knowing your uh, your styles and your brain. <laughs> then it's cleanup time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's not very often you actually make me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, though, when Crawling Back to You is over, that's it. That's You've my done re- it. That's my resequencing issue. Ah. <sighs> 
Wake Up Time is not a song that I'm in love with. It's not a skippable song, but it's also not a hard song. It's kind of one of those, it was just in the middle of the road. Right. It, 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 and it was a heart song for me, for those of you who forgot, from right. round two. So, I mean, they really dropped the ball on on putting the, Crawling Back to You as the finishing track. Right. It needs to be. So I think the hardest thing is Wake Up Time is an amazing song, and where else would it fit? Before. Yeah, I guess. Just do Wake Up Time, then Crawling Back to You. Yeah. Because when, when Wake Up Time ends, it's kind of like, I feel as though I'm like, oh, right. Another song could come. And so as I typically listen to my albums on repeat, when Wake Up Time ends and it goes into Wildflowers, I'm like, oh, that's a good transition. Yeah, so something can follow it and it works. Easy. Okay. If anything, I would have put in Wake Up Time maybe like three quarters of the way through Mm -hmm. and put maybe um, To Find a Friend after it. Yeah, that'd be nice because it lightens it a little Because when I was first listening to To Find a Friend sounds almost exactly the same as Wildflowers when they start. Yeah, right. Yeah. They the almost sound like the same, same song. Same feels. Yep, same yeah, feel. Major same, acoustic. Exactly. So I think To Find a Friend should have been later in the record. Right. Um, I think where it sits is fine, but it's still close enough to Wildflowers that I, I almost do a double take. I'm like, did something go wrong with my Spotify? Um, so it's pretty clear where we're both going uh, here. This is It's so disappointing, too. Are you disappointed that Tom Petty's losing? No, I really thought it was going to be a tie. Oh, uh, I our, thought our first tie. I, okay, so I gave my point to the Blue Album. Yeah, I did too. Okay, so that's a that is a an eleven nine win. An eleven nine win. Super close. That's great. Uh, uh, I love it when that happens. But I'm I'm honestly really surprised because I thought this was going to be our first tie. I really thought you were going to give it to Tom. I really did because I know oh, how are much you friends with him now. Jeez, well, we call Rivers Rivers. We never say Rivers Cuomo, Rivers Cuomo. I know. We always say Rivers, so jeez. It'd be funny calling him Thomas Petty. Thomas Petty. His friends call him Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I was really, really sure you were going to give it, because I know that you like that song, Wake Up Time. I really, uh, yeah, I do. Right, and, and the fact that it was a heart song, I was like, oh, okay, obviously he's going to. Right, he's gonna but so it. is Only in Dreams. Right. And the funny thing is, both these songs are really about the same thing. A boy looking for a girl. Mm-hmm. One happens to be a man looking for a girl, but Tom Petty is notorious for referring to himself as a boy. True. Think of Free Fall. Yeah. <laughs> right? So uh, it's really the same theme and another overlap between the two songs. Both share a dance rhyme. What? In Only in Dreams, River sings... While Petty delivers, you spend your life dreaming, running round in a trance. You hang out forever and still miss the dance. But I'm not sure either top the third verse of You Wreck Me, where Petty sings, I'll be the boy in the corduroy pants. You'll be the girl at the high school dance. Yeah, <laughs> I love like that. Which is like the most absurd dance I was rhyme the, ever. I was the boy in corduroy, corduroy pants. Corduroy pants, yeah. Easy, absolutely. Was it a thick corduroy? Yeah, the ugly kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. now I wear the modern one where it's like really narrow and like very trendy. Right, right. A svelte corduroy. Mm-hmm. So it's funny that there is like some overlaps, and I think they both get the job done as closers, and mm. then some. Crawling Back to You would have won it for me. Crawling Back to You would have probably won it for you. Yes. Oh, yeah. So, you know, no offense, Tommy. You dropped the ball there, but you also made one hell of a record. You sure did. This was a great battle. I think this is the, A, some of the most fun I've ever had talking about 
a record. I think it's always great when we talk about something we have so much personal attachment to. This felt like a celebration of oh, a record. Of two of records. Of an achievement. Oh, yeah, of two records, absolutely. Yeah, of course, but... Um, yeah, man, this was. I really thought this was going to be a tie. I'm a little disappointed about mm. that, but that's okay. It was still really great. Eleven to nine. That's one of our closest yet. Absolutely. So, which would you rather listen to? Depends on what mood I'm in. Absolutely, and that's a great thing. They're both great, and I yep. think we can recognize that. Can They're we both... say? Can we say that about some of the other records we've talked about? No, I it's mean, it's usually I, pretty definitive, right? It's usually like, oh, clearly Weezer, or oh, clearly. Well, I don't know. It's actually it tough for us. Hard. To... Yeah, the only one that wouldn't be would be <laughs> right. Atlantis. Yeah, right. For you. Yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like Alanis Morissette so much. Yeah, well, fuck you. She's cool. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't said fuck you to me in a while. It's been you a- haven't fucked me in a while. Hey, you haven't whoa, stupid whoa, whoa, fucked whoa. me. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta get that in every fucking Some show. Stupid fuck. <laughs> yeah. No, that was a smart fuck and a, and a fair fuck. <laughs> Agreed. Here is your winner, Weezer. <laughs> that was really fun. I'd I'm lost. not sad that, that, that Tom Petty lost. I'm no. happy we got to talk about him. I'm surprised it was as close as it was, given the categories. Sure. You know what I mean? Um, and I, ha- I actually had a last-minute change uh, oh, was it? in mine, yeah. I, I, I was going to give opening track to Jonas, ah. uh, but it was on the drive down listening to it one more time. I was like, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got to be. For um, sure. So we have something interesting planned for our next two episodes. We do. Kind of along the lines of, can I listen to something I love? Mm-hmm. Which I always say it like that for some reason. It's true. Um, so up until now, our these current seven episodes, we have very specifically chosen um, very mainstream, very well known, well known, uh, super successful, very successful records of the '90s, just to kind of get the the podcast off the ground, make sure we're we're appealing to a wide audience. But for these next two episodes, now that we kind of got you reeled in and hooked, we want to talk about two records that are truly for us. That we absolutely love. Yeah, and we're calling this limited series here, One for Chrissy. (laughs) That's right. So here's the catch. I've selected a record, and Chris, the younger here, has selected a record. Mm -hmm. We have not informed the other of what record we are choosing. We are literally going to inform them right now, as you all listen, and get some honest reactions. What we're going to do is the next episode will be Chris, the younger's selection, Mm -hmm. and then the week after that, we will have Chris, the elder's selection. As far as I know with my choice, this is a record you've never listened to from a band you don't know all that well, and I'm not sure about your choice, but this is a way to, one, expose each other to music that mm-hmm. we aren't familiar with, right? to maybe create more of a debate yes. between the two of us, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but also maybe, hopefully, find appreciation in each other's tastes. Absolutely. And then also, uh, as an added bonus, have at least like one expert on the record yeah you know why don't you tell me your choice first since it'll be going first okay i'm on the i'm truly on the edge of my seat now <laughs> my pants are off yeah they are i they didn't can't know, crease any further i don't know why you took them off but it's fine on our next episode we will be discussing the 1995 record and out come the wolves by rancid wow I'm yeah. so relieved. Are you? Yeah. What did you think it was going to be? Sublime? <laughs> no. Real Big Fish? I don't know. Uh, Real Big Fish doesn't even have that many 90s records. Oh, okay. None of their good ones. Yeah, I guess I don't know anything about RBF. Yeah. And honestly, I don't really want to talk about Real Big Fish. Because okay. I'm, I'm not as passionate about them I, as I used to. I would have put money on you choosing Sublime, though, for some reason. Which, by the way, we are going to get... That's on our list anyway. Oh, both, the both Rancid- 40 ounces and, yeah. and self-titled. Um, okay, and why did you choose Rancid? Rancid? So it was so funny because I was just kind of like going back through my back catalog, 
And when I work out, I usually try to listen to like punk rock or, or hip hop. And I just, uh, I have listened to And Out Come the Wolves. I couldn't even tell you how many times, like thousands of times, that one record. Um, is Maxwell Murder on there? Yeah, that's the opening track. There you go. Yeah, really. Is Ruby Soho? Sure is. Oh, see, so I know some it, of the songs. It's pretty much all of their music is yeah. on that record. It's Time like, Bomb's not on there, though, It right? is. That's on there? Yeah. Oh, okay, so I, I know this like a third of this record. Dude, there's 19 songs on that oh, record. Oh, fuck. <laughs> but it's 49 minutes long. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. I love punk rock. I've got a lot of ties to punk rock in my childhood, and, and that's kind of like the music that I really, really... Uh, grew up on so i'm just super super excited to, to talk about it and i was really i was literally listening to it um working out and then i kind of kept listening to it all throughout the rest of the day because that's what i do i get hooked on an album and i just keep listening to it uh and then you texted me is like hey i just found my record and then i was like yeah me too <laughs> like <laughs> nice, in that nice. moment i was like oh let's just do this Ding! Yeah, and I figured it's something that you didn't know very well. I'm also, oh, yeah. I'm psyched that you knew those. Three I've never tracks. owned it, but I, I just remember those songs from the '90s. Yeah, for sure, and enjoyed them. Cool. So cool. So I that'll mean, be I, a fun conversation. Yeah. Right. So give me some punk street cred. Yeah, I hope so. So following that episode, Chris, what are we going to be talking about? Do you want to take one stab at what I chose? I would assume it's a fish record. God, you know me so well. Yes, you know, and I'll tell you what, I had a short list of like six albums, mm-hmm. and I want to do this more, so we'll get to those too. But I decided to go fish not because I'm an asshole. I actually decided to go fish because I think there's the best chance that you will like this music. I want you to like this music. I want to like it too. I don't hate fish. I know you don't. I know you don't. You just haven't been exposed to necessarily the right things. And if you listen to live fish right off the bat and don't pick the right thing, you'll be like, this band sucks. I don't know yeah, what's yeah. going on here. And I think you did do that a little a bit. It is a hard, hard band to weed through the weeds. It, let me say this. That is a hard band to start listening to if you do not have a shaman yeah, or someone yeah, to guide yeah. you through it. And I'm hoping I could provide that with my selection, which is Fish's 1996 record, Billy Breathes. Okay. I have no idea what that is. Cool. Billy Breathes is probably the purest, most classic-sounding Fish record, meaning classic guitar-driven music, both electric and acoustic. It's masterfully produced and recorded by Steve Lillywhite at Bearsville Studio, which is the same place... Automatic for the People was recorded. Nice. Has a great sound and some really great songwriting, some really great playing. And I think it's very approachable and digestible, but not in a way that feels compromised. Most Fish fans regard it as one of their top tier studio records. Most Fish fans don't give a fuck about their studio records. Right. But they're still judgmental about ones that don't really capture the spirit of Fish. This one captures a very specific spirit of Fish, but it's more song oriented than long composition and playing oriented. Yeah, yeah. But I just think that it will show a side of them that you've never heard in your listening to them. And I'm hoping that you'll find some appreciation for it. So Billy Breathes by Fish. Fish fans out there, if you're wondering, why did I choose that one? Truly Story of the Ghost is my favorite Fish record to listen to, but I just thought it would be a little bit alienating for Chris and a little bit samey. So I decided to go with a little bit more colorful and open sounding record like Billy Breathes. And for those of you who go like, well, I'm definitely not listening to that episode. I don't like Fish. Listen to it and tell me that it's not quality music. If you like something like Tom Petty, there's a chance you would really like Billy Breathes by Fish. Awesome. And if there's a chance you like Tom Petty, there's probably not a chance you're going to like Rance's Outcome the Wolves. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, you know, he he straddled that line. Sure Classic did. rock, punk rock, new wave, alternative rock. He was every man and every musician to everyone. And so may we've he got- rest in peace. Yes. Much love, Tom. Coming up on the next episodes, we've got ones for Chrissy. <laughs> One's for Chrissy. That's what we'll call it. (laughs) Yeah. On the next Blue Blue Album Album Battle. Battle.